We left off on uh, verse 12, and we were getting into the aftermath of um, of Paul uh, being struck blind, and then, of course, the Lord is talking to Ananias and kind of preparing him as he's preparing Paul for this uh, meetup. And so what has to happen here, uh, and you see it with Ananias giving a little pushback to, to God as to, you don't really mean for me to go and, and talk to this guy, right? This guy that's been killing and, and jailing Christians. You don't really mean that. And as uh, I'm going to borrow some uh, terms from today that people use, I said what I said is what God said, right? I did not stutter. Go to this guy and you uh, talk to him. So he's breaking it down for him what he's supposed to do. And we see that uh, from verses 10 and on. Uh, But let's just read uh, from verses 10 to 19, I believe. That's where uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse uh, 10, starting at verse 10. And it says there, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he he had seen in a vision a man uh, named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and went and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he uh, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed at. Uh, at were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on the name of, uh, on the name, his name, this name, boy, I cannot get it right this morning, on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither uh, for that intent that he might bind or, or bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews uh, which dwelt at Damascus, providing or proving that this was the very Christ. Uh, and so we see here, uh, again, this conversion and the key role that Ananias plays in it, and we'll continue to look at this today. Uh, but we left off again uh, on your page 10 there at point D, 110. 110. <laughs> 
you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, just just pick up there at page 110. So the questioning of Ananias. And so we see here, again, um, Ananias doesn't immediately obey what he's told to do, right? And it shows just a hint there. I, don't, I wouldn't say a total, but a hint of a lack of faith, right? And you see God is telling him to do this. Does he think that God would just be sending him into an ambush? The same God that you're saying you put your trust in. He's not willing to trust in him in this instance. Now, I can tell you guys, don't get all high and mighty because we do the same thing, too. <laughs> God says certain things for us to do or leads us in certain directions. And it remind, reminds me uh, totally. I keep using this example for it. But when Pastor Dave <laughs> brought up this example, I could find none better. But the guy that said, I don't want to give my life to God because I don't want to go to Mexico. <laughs> right. There's there's nothing more or nothing clearer to show the lack of faith that we can have in real time. And uh, we look back at these people in, in the Bible times and say, how could they not trust God? Well, the question is, how can we not trust God? Right. And we do it all the time. Uh, but let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're uh, grateful for this day and uh, grateful for the provisions that have been uh, given to us by grace and that uh, we can walk out in these lives, uh, a life that uh, mirrors what it looks like to live uh, in Christ. And sometimes we uh, fail at that. And we see that these uh, in the Bible were no different and that they uh, failed to put, our, put their faith totally in you and to uh, trust in your provision in every circumstance. And, and we do the same thing today, but we're grateful that your grace is greater than any of our short, shortcomings and that we're able to uh, continue uh, to try each day to walk out that, that perfection that we have in Christ. And so uh, we pray that um, as we see these examples that have, have gone before us, that it would inspire us to uh, want to live up to the expectation of who we are in Christ. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so we see uh, the questioning of Ananias in verses 13 and 14, and it says there in verse 13, uh, so the Lord has told him, uh, Paul has seen or Saul has seen in a vision as he's appearing to Ananias in the vision, this very thing that is about to happen. And last week we talked about it as he got a glimpse into the future, right, as to what was going to happen with him. And what does he do? He says, yes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go forward and, and do what you said I'm going to do, God. No, <laughs> he's going to question uh, what God has said. You don't really mean that you want me to go to this murderer <laughs> who was sitting there watching Stephen be stoned and then further went from there and started persecuting the church. You don't really mean that you want me to go to this guy. <laughs> Surely you mean somebody else. You, you must have been mistaken. Verse 13, it says, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints that are at Jerusalem. And so the reputation of Saul certainly precedes him. Right. And it's not a good reputation among the church. What we see here is the answer of Ananias is immediately following what the Lord said to him. And so uh, this clause that's used here is it's the very next event that took place right after what the Lord said is for him to question him. And really, it's given the word he answered. But the answer is in the form of a question. 
Now, some of you might watch Jeopardy. It's one of my favorite shows. But you have to answer the question in the form of a question, right? It's kind of backwards the way, way that you look at it. And here we see a similar thing being done here by Ananias. Now, this word for answered is from the composition of apo, which is from, and krino, which means to judge. And the resultant idea is of a statement coming from judgment of a matter heard or observed. And so what is Ananias doing in his mind? He's been given this information from God to say, go to this guy, Saul. And now he's starting to put together in his mind before he replies, hey, wait a minute. God is telling me to go to this guy that's persecuting the church, the foremost persecutor of the church at this time. Hmm. No, no, no. He he can't mean this. This is not right. Let me let me talk to God and, and get this right in his mind, because there's no way that he means for me to go to this guy named Saul. This is this is not correct. And so he answered and he he gives Lord, not sir, but Lord master. Now, it's very interesting that the master is telling him to do something. When you think of a master telling you to do something, if you think of masters and slaves, do slaves usually talk back to their master and say, no, you, you didn't really mean that, right? This could be something that causes a slave to get into trouble. Good thing God is not a slave master like human slave masters are, right? He's the divine slave master and we're voluntarily serving him. But this is an admission when he says Lord of his servitude to deity. And it is a willingness to proceed with questioning deity. So it's very interesting to me that he finds the, the will to call him Lord and yet the willingness to continue to question what the Lord is telling him to do. The third thing that we see is uh, what he says to him. He says, I have heard uh, and here I, I have heard at a point in time in the past with the effect that I have present knowledge. It's in the perfect tense. I've heard this in the past, and I think I understand based on what I have heard a little bit about this man, Saul, right? He's not a, not a good guy. Uh, and so he says he's heard, and it's been by many. And so he's not just saying this is some rumor that's coming from one person. It's coming widespread from many people concerning this man. Uh, and, and then we see how much evil he hath done. And this is personal evil, these things that he's doing for himself. And when you think about uh, Saul, I think this goes right to the heart of his motivation with what he was doing. He was not Paniras evil, right? And that he was trying to pull others into him. This was a self-gratifying thing because he thought, I'm doing this in service to God, right? This personal evil that he's doing to other uh, Christians. And who is he doing it to? To the saints which are at Jerusalem. Now this sets apart that his persecution of the church started out at Jerusalem and then he's trying to spread it out, right? We talked about the gospel message and how the gospel message spread. Well, Saul was the antithesis to this gospel message. He's trying to exterminate it and wipe it out. And we saw that the gospel message started at Jerusalem and it slowly started to branch out to other regions. And what is Saul doing? He's starting at Jerusalem with his persecution of the church, and he's slowly trying to branch out from Damascus on. And what's going to happen? Well, God is nipping that in the bud right as we speak. Uh, but verse 14, 
And we'll read there. And it says, And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call upon thy name. Now this is a direct reference uh, back to the beginning of the chapter where we saw uh, Paul went up and, and he sought letters from the chief priests to go ahead and, and exterminate this sect of Judaism uh, that is called that way. And so we see the, the knowledge of this authority from verses 1 and 2, and we could go back there, uh, or you guys could go back there kind of on your own study if you like to, but that's what, what he's talking about here. And we see the binding of any claiming Jesus. And so it's this specific name that people had a problem with, right? It would be okay if they were saying, I'm serving God, right? And, it, and you cut this Jesus guy out of it. This name we saw early in the chapter really grates at these people, right? And I think it's a, a guilt thing that was going on with them, right? Because it, it really seemed to irritate the Jews that Peter, early in the, the book, would bring up that name Jesus. What did they say? Didn't we tell you not to preach in this name? That name, it, it really irritates them. And it irritates uh, these here as well. And so Saul is trying to to uh, stop the preaching of this name, Jesus. Uh, but in verse uh, 15, this this uh, but is is showing a, a interjection. Of what it, oh, I skipped ahead of my notes. So sorry. Um, <laughs> binding those ones claiming the name Jesus. And so uh, they call upon this name, uh, the name uh, one's being caused to uh, call upon this name. And so it's looking at a participial form of all of those that are continuing in that action of calling upon this name. Uh, and we see a comparison of this over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 12, uh, where the ones calling up on the name uh, of the Lord are out from Jews and Gentiles. Go with me over there really quick. Just as a quick aside. And it really shows here in chapter 10, a lot of people use this context for the gospel. Uh, but this is, if you go back to chapter 9 and really keep this in context of what Paul is saying in chapters 9 through 11, he's, he's talking directly to Jews, right? And he's saying, hey, I have a heart for these people, Israel, but this is what they need to do to be saved. It doesn't say everybody needs to do this to be saved. This is specific to Israel. Right. The gospel message for everyone is given over in first Corinthians 15. Here you see that the Jews have a certain disdain for this one that came to save them. And this is what they need to do in order to get in line uh, with that salvation. So let's just pick it up in, in verse one uh, from chapter 10. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Does this sound like what's going on with Saul here, right before he's converted? He has his own righteousness that he's drawn out from the law, and he says, this is the way that I'm supposed to go about it. And surely God desires for me to go and to kill these Christians that are proclaiming a name that God has not authorized. You see how your own righteousness can mess up your mind, right? To have somebody thinking that it is right to kill someone else, which in the very law, it says, thou shalt not kill. Doesn't even make sense, but here's where he's, he's, he's got to in his mind. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness of going about, uh, 
verse 4. Uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describes the law, which is uh, the righteousness, excuse me, which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is out from faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh to thee, even in thy mouth, and is in thy heart, or and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from uh, out from dead ones, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart uh, believeth unto for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Um, uh, I'm supposed to read to verse 10, 12, excuse me. Uh, For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall uh, not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all the ones calling upon him. And so here you see uh, a comparison to that term that's used for uh, uh, back in Acts chapter 9. And we see this used again, this idea of the ones uh, uh, having called upon him. Um, and so in verse, verse 14, and at the bottom um, uh, of that verse, we see the ones calling upon uh, thy name. Verse 15, we see the election, or actually verses 15 and 16, we see the reiteration uh, from the Lord of what he said. And so... <laughs> Basically, without saying it, the Lord is going to tell him, I did not stutter. Right? <laughs> I told you to go to him. Trust in me that I have a bigger picture of everything that's happening here. Right. And often I, I can't say this enough because we do the same thing. We, we, we criticize people in the Bible. And when I say we, I mean me, <laughs> we, we criticize those in the Bible for things that they do. Right. And we do the exact same thing. Right. If we were living out this Christian life in the way we were supposed to, we would never not be spiritual because we would always be putting our faith in God and the Holy Spirit would be leading our every step. But if we've ever been carnal, right? if we've ever fallen from the grace that's been provided to us, why is that? Can you say that you're not living by grace and that you're having faith? I don't think so, right? And see, here the same thing is happening with Ananias. He's going back to his human reasoning and saying, boy, this just doesn't add up. This, can't, this doesn't make sense. One plus one in this case does not equal two. He's saying, go to this guy who I know is killing Christians. He doesn't really mean it. Those, those things, they're not, they're not true, right? And so he has to respectfully question God and say, you know what? Make this make sense for me, God. <laughs> this, this doesn't make sense in the way that you're saying it right now. And so what does God say to him? It says in verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. Right? He didn't say, you know what, Ananias, you're right. <laughs> this time, I, I know I told you to go to this guy, but... I really meant to do this. No, he says, go thy way. Go, go do what I told you to do. 
For he, speaking of Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, he really states here what we're going to see develop over the course of the book of Acts, right? And it happens to happen in a way that it didn't have to happen for Saul. He didn't have to go all, through all that he went through to get before kings and, and before uh, the chief priests. But he ends up going there anyway. It kind of reminds you of the pastor's favorite song, the Hornet song, right? <laughs> God does not compel us to go against our will. Well, in this case, Saul compelled himself to go in a way that he didn't even need to. And we'll see that when we get there. Uh, but he is going to appear before all of these that God said he would. Now, first we see in verse 15, this election of Saul. So regardless of what Saul did before this conversion, he in past times was elect of God. Even when he was persecuting the very church of people that have called upon the name of the Lord, he was still an elect one. And we see that uh, God's calling intersected with that election uh, there on the road to Damascus. And so we, he uses this death uh, construct again here, but... And this expresses the contrast between the things that Ananias had said and his reservations concerning what God desired for him to do and the infinite wisdom of God. Right. God knows all things. He knew at the time that he's telling Ananias to do this, that he had already called Saul to salvation and that when they met up, Saul was going to receive what Ananias had to say. But in the mind of Ananias, he's right here in this moment, right? And he can't trust in the full provision of God. And so God has to get him right. What does he tell him? Go thy way. And this is emphatic, right? This is not some, oh, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. This is your instruction. If you know what's good for you, this is what you should do. If you want to listen and heed what I'm telling you to do, go thy way right now. <laughs> And so what does he say? He is a chosen vessel. This idea of, of a chosen vessel, uh, elect, we know that word, but this word for vessel is used several different times of a, uh, 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 something for use from God. Uh, but before I'm jumping ahead in my notes, uh, Saul was chosen by God for a specific purpose. And Saul was to be a vessel for God's use. And so this word for, for chosen we see it used over in Galatians 1.15 or something similar to it, where Paul describes his choosing from God uh, prior to salvation. Go with me over to Galatians 1 and verse Galatians 1.15, as I try to mark my place in Acts chapter 9, you guys are probably already there. We go back just a little bit, and remember here, uh, Paul is talking about, after his conversion, that there was no one, uh, humanly speaking, that he had to receive information from, right? His teaching and his understanding of what God desired for him to relate to other people came directly from God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he made personal appearances to him to disclose this information. But in verse 11, it says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached from me 
is not after man. For I neither received it from man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation from Jesus Christ. You see, that's, that's pretty heavy, right? Verse 13, for you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road with Saul, and this is why he was willing. You see, those Jews that were there with Stephen, they were willing just to kill Stephen. But you see something different in Saul in that he was willing to wipe out everybody, right? He wasn't just irritated by one person that was preaching this message and proclaiming this name Jesus. He wanted every single person that proclaimed this name to suffer, right? And here you have uh, a a stark contrast of who he comes to be. In verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by this grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem um, to them which were uh, apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And so here you see his instruction that was given was directly from the Lord. And yet uh, something bigger that he says here, my election was from God even in times past, right? Even when I was persecuting the church, I was still called of God or or, uh, elect of God. And when he chose it, when it came to the point in time that it was supposed to happen right there on that road, he saw the light (laughs) and the light blinded him. (laughs) And then he he truly was able to see. So going back to Acts, uh, he is a chosen vessel. This looks back at the point in time that, hey, God chose him in eternity past to do the very thing that he was now calling him to do. Uh, And so it really... um, hammers home for Ananias here. (laughs) Look, this is not something that just happened, right? This is not some whim that I just had. I chose this guy way back in eternity past. And now everything that's coming to pass is supposed to happen uh, with Saul. Now, uh, other than that, we also see this word for vessel. So he's not only just elect, He's a vessel, something fit for God's use. We see this word used a a couple different times that I want to highlight on uh, here. But over in Romans chapter nine and verse 21, we see that God has the authority over mankind uh, due to his creation of them. And so God can do with any person on the face of the earth what he wants. Now, I won't. If the pastor were coming through him here, he might call out. (laughs) certain individuals who may or may not be in this room, but I'm not going to do that here. Uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 21. And so we're looking at election here and God's freedom and election to do what he chooses to do, right? And who are we (laughs) to question God as to what he desires to do? Verse 18, it says, therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy And on whom he will or desires, he hardens. Thou wilt say unto me, why doth uh, doth he yet find fault? 
for who hath resisted his will. Now, the one the pastor is talking about probably had this in his mind, right? <laughs> that, that person, whoever he was. Uh, verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? So the thing formed, say to the thing that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Now, this sounds very silly when you break it down, right? If I created a robot to do the things that I desired for it to do, I would expect that that robot is not going to turn around and question me. Well, maybe if it's Terminator or something like that, where the robots have become self-aware and now they're questioning what, what the creators told them to do. Maybe in that scenario. But most of the time when you create something, you expect for that thing to do what you designed it to do. Right. <laughs> well, human beings think that we're different. Verse 21, hath not the potter power over the clay uh, or over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make known his power, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not out from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And so here we see that God has created some, right? <laughs> or he's created all. He chose some for this purpose. The others are going <laughs> to live out a totally different purpose. And we see that here, that Paul or Saul happens to fall in this category of ones that he chose to show forth his glory. Right. Uh, over here, unfortunately, these are going to show forth the wrath of God. Uh, now, over in Second Corinthians, chapter four and verse seven, we see that God's power is shown uh, through the fragile bodies of believers. And so as you look at this idea of vessels, uh, these bodies, as you might know, and have come to, to learn and understand through the course of life, are very fragile, right? And yet, within these bodies, there exists great glory. It's almost like you have, uh, think of a, a great treasure that glows and shines, right? In these fragile little clay pots that we, <laughs> we walk in. Uh, and that's the, the vision that comes across here. Now, this is immediately following a verse that the pastor has hit upon here several times in uh, his glory series. This glory that shone forth from us. Right. And it's compared with the glory that was seen out from Moses in the Old Testament. So we have this glory in these earthenware vessels, this potential for showing forth the glory of God through these fragile little uh, bodies that we have. I can go, <laughs> go further to, to describe how fragile they are, but you guys get the picture. Verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the, uh, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Um, did I miss my verse? 
Oh, it's supposed to go to seven. Wait, I should, <laughs> I should pay attention. Uh, continue on for verse five. It says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus, uh, Jesus's sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God, uh, the power may be seen or, or may be out from God and not of us. And so here you see this, this, these vessels are fragile, right? And he doesn't just describe vessels, which are something that can be used by God. He describes this earthenware aspect of it, that they're fragile, fragile clay pots, that if you threw them up in the air, <laughs> they would shatter into a million pieces. That's what we have here. And his glory is able to be seen out through us. But this idea of vessels is very important. So going back to Acts chapter 9 and looking at Saul, he is an elect or chosen vessel. He is one that is elected in eternity past, called in the present, and now someone that is fit to be used by God. Yes, you might have looked at him after the flesh and just seen somebody that can persecute how many times have we looked at unsaved people and kind of scoff at them because of the sin that they're involved in? Not thinking about the fact that God could use even them. Even these people you see in prison, horrible people by human standards. If they had what we had, immediately their life would change. Do we look at people like this? Or do we look at people and say, <laughs> well... <laughs> I've got it all on track now, right? I'm saved. Look at these heathens over here, right? That's the attitude that we can take, not knowing that God can do the very thing in them that he's done in you. And so let's not be of those that look down our nose at other people. Last point on uh, page 111. Have I shot us past our notes again here? <laughs> Maybe I should have printed you guys off one more page. Uh, the task of Saul. And so we see here that uh, the ministry of, uh, of Saul is stated. Uh, and we know that he is to be the steward of the dispensation of grace. Uh, he is to be an apostle and he will be designated as an evangelist to the Gentiles. But it is clearly stated here uh, that he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name uh, before uh, Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Um, this idea of to bear uh, is the infinitive uh, or infinitival uh, verb that states that the action is occurring uh, at a point in time. And so it's looking out here into the future, right? At a point in time in the future, he's going to bear my name before these different uh, individuals. And this form also ties the purpose of Saul's calling to his actual ministry, right? And so you're called. When you were called, each one of you, God gave you a, a potential gift to use within that calling, right? Well, he gave you the gift beforehand, but you're actually called with that gift to be able to start using it. So it's a, a misnomer to say that uh, as a believer, once you're saved, okay, let's just give it some time now. You get yourself acclimated, all of these different things, and then you start <laughs> using your spiritual gift. You can start using your spiritual gift as soon as you're saved, right? It's not your learning and, and knowledge that causes you to use the gift. It's the Holy Spirit. And we see that Paul here 
after he was saved, he immediately goes into using that gift. Well, he has some time that he confers with God and, and that uh, different uh, different things there. But uh, in the end, he's, he's using that spiritual gift. And so um, this is where your notes run out at the top of uh, page. I think you guys only have page 111, so I have to catch you guys up. But <laughs> top of page 112 is where we are in your theoretical notes. <laughs> to bear the name of the Lord. Uh, before Jews and Gentiles. And so we want to break that down a little bit, that, that he's said that this is something that he's supposed to do. Now, Paul and Barnabas turned away from the Jews uh, uh, to the Gentiles due to the rejection of the message. And so we see that uh, Saul always sought out to do what? Every city that he went in, he appealed to the Jews first. And then when they rejected him, he might go to the Gentiles after that, but we uh, see that that was kind of his manner. Go with me over to Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Acts chapter 13 and verse uh, 46. And we can pick it up at verse 44. And he says there in verse 44, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Uh, and uh, then in verse 46, uh, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Now this this is an interesting term to me here because it shows the moving of the Holy Spirit within these individuals, right? They didn't just, from their emotions, say, oh, these guys are speaking against me. I'm going to say something back and debate with them. No, the Holy Spirit started moving within these individuals, and then they're able to speak back. And so uh, uh, Wax Bold and said it, it was necessary that the word of God should first be, have been spoken to you. But seeing that you uh, you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting and really their eternal life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's a very interesting way of putting it. I'm not going to steal from what we'll go through when we get here to chapter 13. But this idea here of they have judged themselves unworthy through their actions. Right. Now I'm going to turn to the Gentiles to preach the message to them. And so you see this idea here that he first went to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Uh, verse 47, for so, uh, so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be uh, for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And so it ties directly back with what we saw at the beginning of the book, right, <laughs> in, in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts chapter 22 and verse 21, we see that Paul told the Jews in his own defense that uh, God had sent him to the Gentiles. And so they're trying to bind Paul and to uh, question him as to why he was bringing uh, Gentiles into the temple, which he didn't even do. But uh, here we have it. And pick this one at, up at... Um, Uh, Acts chapter 22. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't want to shoot past this whole story and I can't summarize it really quickly. So let's let's hold this one off. We're at time anyway. And we'll we'll leave you on a cliffhanger, Brother Rick. <laughs> we'll come back to this one uh, 
Well, it won't be this Sunday. You guys are going to have to wait a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll come back to this one next time. In many ways, you guys don't have your notes, so this will be a good good stopping point. So uh, let's bow in a word of prayer, and we'll close out. Father, we're uh, grateful for this day and uh, grateful for the many examples you provide to us uh, in Scripture, uh, just the way that you're able to bring anyone uh, unto yourself. And that it doesn't really matter who we are or what we've done. It matters what your son did and, and that you sent him uh, to die on behalf of us and, and that he lives and that he's seated at your right hand. And we have the opportunity to uh, live because we can live in him. And so we pray that we would uh, be ones that are, are taking full advantage of that and, and looking forward to those good things that you have for us to accomplish, being empowered by you uh, through your son and by the leading of the Holy Spirit to accomplish things that bring you glory. And we're grateful for these things in your son's name. Amen.